Church, we're ready. <laughs> we're all revved up and ready for you tonight. <laughs> Pretty exciting. We're glad to be here tonight. Happy to see you. Happy to know that you are you are here. Those who are uh, in the world of um, virtual world, if you will, and also those who are here present with us today. We thank God for your attendance, and uh, we are continuing with the thought of the interlude of the prodigal son, and and then from there to the father. Uh, so let's, uh, if you will, go to our great God in word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us another day to be able to study your word. You brought us through this day as you've done from the beginning of creation, Lord God, as you protected and watched over us. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to study your word, to fellowship one with another, and to fellowship and commune with you. Please guide us, Lord God, in all truth, and grant unto us wisdom and knowledge and understanding of your word, your will, and your way, and help us to be strengthened by the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that was made in our behalf. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It be thy will. Amen. We are, we're starting tonight in Second Peter 3 and verse 9 because we were, in this interlude, we're talking about the fact that God always wants us back, and it's true. Uh, and so last week we looked at Ezekiel 33 where God says that he, he does not desire the death of the wicked, but prefers that the wicked turn from their ways and come to the Lord. And so tonight, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, just to grab it in the New Testament, where it says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so that's what God wants for his people. He wants us to be able to turn our lives around and surrender our lives to him. Philippians chapter 2, please, and verse 12. He allowed the prodigal, this is really important. He allowed the prodigal time to, to get his life right, to, to straighten things up. We're not promised tomorrow, uh, but he gave the prodigal time to fix some of the things that he needed to fix, um, to, uh, to think about where, where he is, where he was, and, and, and where he's going. And we're, again, we're not promised time. We're not promised tomorrow. But think about it in this way that, that God is, is so patient and so kind that he has given us an amazing amount of time to, to turn our lives around. Today is another day. We've had another opportunity to turn our lives around if necessary and warranted that we need to repent. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so you can imagine the prodigal son in, in, you know, in the, the pig's pen thinking about where he is. You know, where is he now? Adam and Eve thought about where they were. In fact, when they heard the voice of God in the cool of the day, the Bible says when they heard God after they had sinned, they hid themselves. They had time as they walked through the garden to think about what they had done and the sin that they had committed. They had time to think about where they, where they were currently in this, in their position as opposed to where they were in their past position before they sinned. And now the prodigal is in the, um, the pig pen and he's thinking about his life. Let's look back at Luke chapter 15. He's thinking about what his life used to be like 
And then what his life is like now. Uh, and so God gave him time to think about those things. And thank God for his patience that he's had with the entire world. And uh, his patience has extended to us today. Verse 17. Verse 17. But the prodigal, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So again, here he is thinking in the pen, looking around, and he says to himself, you know, I need to get up and turn my life around, and I have to have the courage to go back to my father and turn my life back to him. So here's what God did, and God's patience. We we think about uh struggles in life uh that come our way. We think about uh difficulties that come our way and it's really important, I think, and critical that when we are in a different situation or a difficult situation that we we see it from God's perspective or God's view or vantage point. Is God trying to teach me a lesson? Is this something that I really honestly have brought on myself and these are the consequences of my actions? Take a good look as you reflect on your life and ask yourself, you know, is this just a part of life? It could be just a part of life. It may have nothing to do with the consequence. John 9, the man born blind, it was just, a, it was just to, to the glory of God. It wasn't that he had sinned or done something wrong. It wasn't that his mother or father has sinned or done anything wrong. It was for the glory of God. And of course, God does his work in amazing ways. And so in our lives, it's not always a consequence of our actions that bad things happen, but bad things just happen. Like in Luke 18, he talks about the Tower of Siloam that failed. Uh, it just, things happen. But when they do happen, I think it's important for us to reflect on life in that particular moment and ask ourselves where we are spiritually with the Lord. And uh, I think that's a really good thing for us to do. The famine, though, in this particular account, in this parable, became God's instrument. It was God's instrument to humble this young man, to wake him up, to allow him the time to reflect and for him to come to his senses. And in most cases, the, the misery that comes in our lives, we realize that God is always ready to free us from that misery. God is always ready to release us from that situation. But even in misery or, or whatever it is in our lives, we can always come to God. Now I want to look at this from Hebrews chapter 12's perspective of, you know, God being our Father. And God being our Father, He tells us that discipline is necessary. It's really important uh, for each person to be to be disciplined. Um, and as God's children, we are disciplined by God when we do things that we ought not. And if we do that, or God does that, because He loves us. Look at verse seven, Hebrews chapter twelve. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, 
then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more, rather, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so discipline has a great reward that comes with it, and we praise our God for it. We serve a great father. We have a great God whom we surrender our lives unto. And then just trials. Trials in themselves, which maybe have nothing to do with our our situation. In other words, we haven't done anything wrong. It is not a consequence. It's just a trial, a matter of fact, something that's happened and we are a victim to it. James tells us in chapter 1, uh, the verses 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, God says, we're going to turn to Mark 13. He says, let endurance, you know, let it run its race. Let it have its perfect result because it has a reason. There's something for it. What happens in life is our trials that come our way, they're going to produce, is what I meant to say, our, our trials are going to produce endurance, right? It gives us the ability to, you know, someone goes and runs a track race, um, if they're going to run a marathon or whatever, in order to, to finish, you have to increase your endurance. You have to work hard at it. And so life is the same way. God wants us to endure in this long life all the way until the end. And so trials gives us the ability to endure for the next trial that may come our way. Mark 13 says in verse 13, And you will be hated by all on account of my name, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. I like that formula, the idea that God said there are going to be trials in your life, but I want you to see the trial as producing something for you. The trial is producing endurance. And endurance is necessary because we cannot run the race of Christ and stop halfway. We have to run and endure until the end to be saved. So there is a beautiful blessing from God through everything that we will ever experience in life. And that's why God says in Romans 8 that all things work together for the good for those who love God according to his will. So there's a blessing and a beautiful um, mindset that must come out of the trials and tribulations that we are in. Like right now, again, looking at this pandemic, there are beautiful blessings in the pandemic, though it's a difficult time. And there will be beautiful and wonderful blessings coming out of the pandemic. But now is a time to reflect. Now is a time to think. Now is a time to meditate. And now is a time to draw closer to God and also draw closer to uh, our families. It's a beautiful opportunity uh, from our Lord. It's the way you look at it. It's perspective. When you think about life, what is your perspective of life? Is it doom and gloom or are we more optimistic seeing that God's blessings will continue to rain down upon his people. Uh, let's go to Hebrews, please. Chapter 10. So in order to save us, in order to save us, there was a there was a lot of work that God had to do. Jesus lived on the earth for 30, about 33 years. 
And about, about age 30, he began his ministry. And about age 33, he was executed. Um, wow. And he had to live for that long span of time on the earth, separate from his father. And while on the earth, he lived amongst, in the midst of sin, the, the very thing that, that God that God hates. And he watched. He watched the injustice. He watched uh, human um, terror. He watched dysfunction. He watched things about us. And he experienced some things. He was tempted in every way, uh, just as we, except without sin. And the father watched from the heavens and watched his son agonize, if you will, during this life's time on the earth to find joy in the midst of all of this, this sin. People trying to trap him and trick him and they were deceptive and, and, and deceitful. And yet he remained true and he maintained a balanced life and a spiritual nature that is beyond compare. And I can only imagine sometimes the angels, the cherubim in particular, or the guardian angels, looking down and, and seeing Jesus being mistreated. And, and looking to the Father for Him to dispatch them to protect, to protect God. And the Father having to restrain the, the guardian angels by saying, no, it's part of my plan. And that being part of God's plan, it ended in the, the death of Jesus. And Hebrews 10 in verse 1, we find that God had to give all. The Bible says, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so, Jesus is that perfect sacrifice, the complete propitiation, the ultimate satisfaction for sin. And God knew this from the very beginning. And so the added pressure of Jesus living his life, it wasn't just that to live your life sinlessly to be the propitiation. But to suffer things that he had never suffered before is amazing. The Hebrew writer tells us that he learned obedience through the things in which he suffered. So Jesus suffered while on the earth, but God loves us so very much that he was willing to give all to save us. Everything. In Philippians chapter 2, he not only gave all, when he came to the earth, he came to the earth with the understanding that I'm going to come as a bondservant and I'm going to surrender my life Stepping below the angels in human form, not using God powers, if, if I can say that respectfully, but being just like, just like man. 
100% man and 100% God at the exact same time. And never, ever sinning. It's hard to conceptualize that idea. But in verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. God gave all. There, there's nothing, there's nothing left for him to give. He gave all. And in John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave all. He gave his only begotten son, the, the only one. And that, and that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave everything to us. And in Matthew 18 in verse 27, Think about this passage. Here's the parable where uh, the man had a tremendous debt that he owed. And uh, the comparison is incomparable, if you will, in the text of the one that forgave the debt and the one that refused to forgive a debt. We jump all the way down to verse 27. And the Bible says, The Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the unforgivable. This debt was huge. He forgave him this amazing, enormous debt. He gave all in that sense. God was willing to forgive all of our sins. Not one. We're not going to go to heaven one day, stand before the Father on Judgment Day, and God say, oh, you know, there was one sin that I forgot to forgive. He forgave and he has given all to us. And then Psalm 78 and uh, verse um, 34 Psalm 78 in verse 34. As we're reading this parable, we're recognizing that in the parable, God is teaching us an amazing lesson about who He is and that even those who do not deserve to be forgiven, as we think of it, it should be, that's all of us, right? But it's easier to say it's someone else, right? Um, the people who do not deserve to be forgiven, they are forgiven too. The enemies of God are forgiven and what's amazing in the in the uh, parable is that the unthinkable happens. You know, the, the the young boy goes off into his life, and and God spares him, and he comes home, and then and then he becomes, uh, if you will, as maybe the parable presents itself, he becomes a better son than he was before he left. Right? And the son that stayed home didn't quite learn the lesson. Maybe he turned his life around. The Bible doesn't doesn't tell us but look never give up hope never give up on people and i think that's really important it's a very important lesson to learn that that even this person who've done some has done some horrible things you know he went out and he he's with, with women and and living his life and partying and all those things and you, you know the older brother just said I, i'm done with him but the father never gave up and i believe without a shadow of, of a doubt that this account this parable is a great account for us to recognize that we should never give up on people. You never know who's going to turn their lives around. 
if I'm not mistaken, I remember, in fact, um, I don't recall the brother's um, last name, but brother brother James knows, um, was baptized at age, what, 96? Over at South Anchorage, I forget who, who that was, but, you know, we could have written him off, right? Yeah, that's who we're talking about, Brother Buells, thank you. And uh, 96 years old, wasn't his father a preacher? I think his, you know, his family were members of the church regardless, and, and they were faithful members, and 96 years old, and he comes to the Lord. You never give up on people. So it's our responsibility to maintain the proper attitude, to be godly, to be like the Father in the parable, to be like Jesus, to be like God himself, and never give up on people because God never gives up on us. Uh, Psalm 78 and verse 34. When he killed them, then they sought him and returned and searched diligently for God. And they remembered that God was their rock and the most high, God, their redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouth. They lied with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all of his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh and wind that passes and does not return. How many times have you witnessed people? Maybe you're that person who said to God, maybe I'm that person. I'm not going to do that anymore. And yet we did it again. And God was still forgiving. Right? Never give up. So, the parable in Luke 15 is a powerful parable now that we're at the Father. Now we're looking at a combination of the Heavenly Father and the biological Father in the parable. I will probably say the prodigal's Father for clarification in, in context through this study. I want you to think for a moment about the prodigal's father. Think about his, his broken heart. A parent who is a child who goes astray. There's, there's probably not much else in life that could tear your heart apart than to watch something like that. I've been told many stories about People who have struggled in that way and the terribleness of that. And after so many long, dark, hopeless, heartbroken, sleepless nights, the father's son, the prodigal son, comes home. And the father can finally relax just for a little bit. Well, he does find out or discover there's another prodigal in his midst. But think, if you will, about his disappointment as days and months and probably in the text years go on where his son doesn't return home. And he longs for his son to come home. That's all he wants. That would be, that would so complete him if his son 
would come home. And that's one of the signs of parenting that's, that's both, both joyful, the joy of being a parent, right? There's nothing like it. But then if we ever have to experience the other side, the many multifaceted levels of being a parent are, are pretty amazing. So here's something I want us to think about for just a moment. Being approachable. Um, am I an unapproachable father? When my child sees me, do, do they think of me as being like God in the sense of they can come to me with anything? I think that's very important that as a father, our children recognize that there is this layer that is peeled back. We're open, uh, like an armadillo, if you will, though we're protecting ourselves, but we're open and we're willing to open ourselves up to our children for anything because life happens right and difficult things do come our way and Jesus tells his parable to correct the misconceptions of the Pharisees and the scribes and other folks about God it shows that God's attitude is that God loves the righteous and the sinner and it's imperative that an earthly father demonstrates the same attitude that the father's attitude is you know is Philippians 2 uh, had this attitude in yourself, which also was found in Christ Jesus. Jesus was approachable. He would ask, what would you like for me to do for you? Some requests were a little unreasonable from a human standpoint because these miracles were miracles, right? Things that had never happened uh, on the face of the earth, like the, the boy, uh, the man, should I say, born blind. And Jesus was willing to do for them what was necessary for their their current situation and their lives. So the father, the prodigal's father, proved to be a blessing to both boys, right? Both young men. He was a blessing and open to the son who had walked away from him, who took his one-third, his belongings, the father's belongings. He took part of his inheritance and he went off and he spent all of it. And now he comes back to his father penniless. And his father opens his arms to him and welcomes him. And then there's the older brother who is still at home, who though he has not spent the two-thirds that he's received, he's kept those two-thirds that he has received. And while having that, if you will, that mentality or that in his presence, he's the sinner in the account who's also forgiven. So both boys are sinners. Both boys have have done wrong, and yet the father's arms are open to both of them. He was very approachable, and that's very important. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 44 uh, for just a moment. In this parable, the father um, shows an amount of love for his children that is what is necessary to keep our home strong and blessed and, and beautiful. God is searching for his children, right? And so this is what the parable shows. This father, I, I'd imagine, is he, you know, with his tears and, and struggles and, you know, the mother as well, obviously in the account. We, we get that, right? It's kind of an automatic. But um, the father is with tears wanting his child to come home. The father was approachable. And I want you to think about Joseph for just a moment. About knowing when a father is willing to open 
his arms to you. If, if your father, if you're a father and you're approachable, it makes it so much easier for that child to come home to you when they know you're going to receive them with open arms. I mean, there's no question you're going to eventually have to talk about some things. But at the moment, when you come home to know that there are open arms waiting for you. Now, Joseph wasn't going home, but Joseph's attitude toward his father changes in Genesis um, chapter 44 because he discovers something about his father that he didn't quite know. Or should I say he wasn't sure about. We're going to begin at verse 23 and let's begin reading this account. Genesis 44 verse 23. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Thus, it came about when we went up to your servants, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our younger brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I have not seen him since. And if you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up, in the lad's life. It will come about when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, Please let your servant remain instead of the lad, a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him and cried, having everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him, when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. You see, Joseph's attitude at this moment, he couldn't contain himself. He could no longer control himself. And so it's at this revelation that he reveals himself to his brothers and he asks about his father. Before, I'm sure he thought his father just, just never came and searched for him. But he never knew that his father was lied to. And now the story and the bits of the pieces to the puzzle are all coming together. It makes it amazingly uh, acceptable or easier, should I say, if a father seeks his children out. And so fathers, uh, maybe it's, it's our responsibility, I think, from the text that we 
Stay in touch with our emotional side as well. And when our, our children are straying, that we're there for them, that we have that conversation, those open arms. And sometimes it means we say nothing, but we just have open arms for them and we are there for them. And when we make ourselves vulnerable to our children, it makes it easier for them to come home if they have gone astray. Now, in Deuteronomy 21, there's the discussion about the inheritance, verse 15 through 17. I'm not going to read that. You can read that on on your own. But we've read it already a few times about what the law states about the inheritance for um, for the children when you have uh, more than one son. But I have a question to ask about the father. Do you think that the father... Now, think about our fathers, right? Um, you think the father had a clue... You think he had an idea in his mind when his son said, I'm leaving and I'm going to go and you know, explore the world in one sense or another. Do you think he kind of knew what his son was going to do? You know, do you think he had an idea that, you know, he's taking all the money and he's going to get himself into trouble? Along with that, do you think that the father knew the probability of this boy who was inexperienced, to go out there and probably squander his money and end up in a pig pen of some sort. Maybe not quite like this, but of some sort. I think, you know, now as a father, you know, I used to think back when I was a younger man, I would think back and say, my dad doesn't know. He doesn't understand. These are different times, right? (laughs) We're living in different times. You don't know, dad. And now as a father, I'm looking back going, wow, man, did did my father know, (laughs) right? My mother, they knew what was going on. They'd been there in some sense. They'd been there before. And so I think the father knew. But but here's what's interesting about this uh, text that I think is a very important and valuable lesson for us as well. It's just something I've learned personally. So I'm sharing with you things that I've learned through study of this text years ago and also revisiting it again today. And that is that you have to learn to let your children go and hope for the best. Pray for the best, should I say, right, for them. you got to let them go. It's one of the hardest things to do, to let our children, to let them go. And um, he had to set his child free to make his own choices in, in life and, um, and not to hold on to him for too long. You know, it's, it's, it's tough to let that child let your children go but they they grow up and we have to we have to let them go and not hold on to them too long here's something that i've noticed and and maybe it's not true in every uh um, instance of life but i want to turn to ephesians chapter six i've noticed this that if if we hold on to our children too long in some children it provokes them to anger because they want to go out and spread their wings and fly and we've taught them everything that we can teach them right and then but but sometimes we just even though we've taught them everything that we know we don't want to turn them loose to allow them to go out and practice it's like teaching a a child you know academically and and maybe through video how to ride a bike and then putting the child on the bicycle and and then but eventually you're going to let that seat go right and, and, you know, as, I remember that as a father, you know, I let the seat go, but I, I didn't just let it, I, you know, I kind of walked, you know how that works, right? Behind the child, hoping they, we have to let them go, or we'll, we'll, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children or exasperate your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, you, you, you teach them, but if you, if you hold on to them for too long, you'll increase their desire to rebel. Because they, they want to fly. Like, like the eagle, you know, the eagle, uh, eventually just, just kicks the young. I'm not saying we have to be like the eagle and kick the young out before they're prepared and ready and say fly or die, but, but, but the point in the account is that the Father shows us as our heavenly Father does the same thing. He says, here's the word, and now I'm giving you the opportunity to go out there and to obey. James 4 is where we're going next. Once we teach the child right and wrong, we, we sometimes make the mistake of trying to make the right decisions for them, even, even when they're grown. And we, we got, again, we have to, like the Father, we have to let go. James 4 and verse 17 says to him who knows the right thing to do and, and, and does not do it, to him, uh, it is, it is sin. And as parents, what we find is that we want to be the pillow, right? We want to keep the child out of the pig pen. And, and praise God for that because we ought to be that way and think that way. But we cannot be the person that heads them off every time they're running toward the pig pen. You know? I mean, you know, you, you teach them and then they, they want to run off to the pig. Eventually, unfortunately, sadly enough, we, we have to let them go. But we try to do this. We try to break their fall before their decision that they make brings them to rock bottom. But the pig pen in the account is an experience that brought into this young man's life something he would not have learned if his parents continued to coddle him. Instead, the father says, you know, I, I mean, we know he taught him. Obviously, he's, a repre- he's representing the father, God. So obviously, he taught him. He let him go and said, if that's, if that's the life that you want to choose, I'll be right here when you come back. I used to tell my children that, and I tell other parents this as well, that you stay faithful and true to the Lord. You stick with the Lord. You stay with the Lord. If your children ever go astray, they'll always know where to find you. And that's important. And we always know where to find God, right? And so what God did, let's go to Job chapter 40. What God did in the account was the young boy went off and uh, God taught the young boy a lesson on humility. He humbled him and woke him up and shook him just a bit. But that was like, that's what God can do. And we have to allow God to do the shaking when it's necessary, whether it be in our own lives, accept the discipline of the Lord, or whether it be in the lives even of our children, let God shake them to wake them up and draw them closer to him. So God says to Job in Job 40 and verse 10, God says, Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. Then I will also confess to you 
that your own right hand can save you. In other words, what God is saying is that I have a perfect plan and my perfect plan is surround, it surrounds itself around salvation. And so when God brings discipline or the humbling into our lives, it's for the purpose of our salvation and how critical, how critical that is. Now it's also important that, you know, our, our young, you know, children, uh, while we desired, like I desired to flap my own wings and go my own way, it's important to remember your, the, the teachings of your parents. The book of Proverbs is riddled with that, all the way through Proverbs from chapter one all the way uh, almost to the end, that children listen to the instruction of your parents. And then greater than that, listen to the instruction of God. You know, in other words, don't put yourself in a position to where you end up in a pig pen. No, instead, surrender to God and realize that God truly has the right plan. It's right. It may not feel right. It may not look right. It may not seem right in the midst of your, uh, your, you know, friends, if you will, but it is the right plan over and over and over again. We're going to close before time is up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God wants our, our, you know, fathers as, as fathers, God wants us. He wants us to teach our children very important and valuable lessons about the Lord, about life. Look, life is hard and um, a lot of our young people grow up and they uh, leave the home and they walk away from the church. And I'm telling you, if you're young and you're listening, you're only going to hurt yourself. I mean, you're going to hurt your father, you're going to hurt your mother, you're going to hurt your, your friends, you're going to hurt the church family, you're going to hurt God. But in the end, the reality is you're going to hurt yourself. Stay with the Lord. Allow this account to be a great eye-opening experience Realizing that in this account, the young boy who went off as far as he, as far, as far away as he could to the Gentiles, away from God, as far as he could go. Some people say, I'm never going to church again. So they go as far away as they can. God's going to humble you. And now that you're going to be destroyed out there, or you're going to turn around and come back. Let this account be a parable to teach you that you ought to stay true always to God. And never forsake him in any way, shape, or form. So Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, before our time runs out. Concerning this, this is Paul in the thorn in the flesh. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for then, when I am weak, then I am strong. So, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. If you stay with God, you will find that strength to make it through to another day. And that's what fathers ought to be teaching our children every single day. If you stay with the Lord, if you forever stay with God... It will always work out. One way or another, it will always, forever work out. So we'll end there, and Lord willing, we'll come back next week. And I think we have about two more, three three weeks left, or two weeks left in this series. And we'll be finished with the Father and go on to another study. Thank you for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. God bless each and every one of you.